In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God. In the beginning, God created the The heavens heavens and the earth. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness Darkness was all over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. light. In him was life, and that life was the light Light. of men. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Darkness. The light shines in the darkness. Darkness. But the darkness Darkness. has not understood it. God called the light day, and he called the darkness Darkness. He called the darkness night, and there was evening. And there was morning the the first first day. So God made the expanse, and he separated the water under the expanse and the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and he gathered the waters, and he called them seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land, and let them bear fruits with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruits with seeds in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be in the expanse of the sky something to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse that give light to the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God sent them into the expanse of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that this also was good. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above across the sky. So God created the creatures of the sea and everything living and moving in the waters that teem, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was an evening and there was a morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals each according to their kind. And it was so. 
God made wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man, male and female, he created them. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. God saw that all he made was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The word became the flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God. In, in the, the beginning. beginning. So this morning, our text, uh, we heard a, a combination of Genesis 1 and John 1. The text I really want to focus in on is Genesis 1. And actually, uh, I forgot to add in or neglected to recognize it wasn't there. The, it, the actual story goes on into chapter 2. The verse, first couple of verses is the part where uh, God rests on the seventh day and takes Sabbath. And this creation story right here at Genesis 1 uh, the first chapter is one of two uh, creation stories in Genesis. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you, if you read Genesis 1 and 2 together, you soon recognize, wait a minute, this is a whole other creation story. We have the f- chapter 1, which is the, the daily, you know, God creating each day, one after the other, and there was night and there was a day and God declares it good. And then, then in chapter 2 is another creation story, actually a more ancient creation story. That's the part where uh, Adam names all the animals and Eve is, you know, Adam's created out of dust and Eve is taken from a rib. And uh, when the priests were compiling Genesis, God bless them. They said, hey, why choose? Let's take both of these stories and put them in here together because we don't want to lose any part of our tradition. And so they just captured both uh, creation stories. You know, it's a modern thing that we get hung up on things fitting together perfectly and running in sequence and all this kind of thing. And uh, it baffles me when we get into the debate about uh, biblical creation stories and evolution because anyone reading it ought to see that, well, wait a minute, which creation story do you think is literally true? Because there's two completely separate creation stories. Obviously, the compiler of the Bible really wasn't concerned about that stuff and thought that maybe there was a bigger truth to be had here. The first creation story, which we heard today, beautifully read by Tommy and Rachel, 
is really is a story that was put together, was penned by the priests in the 6th century before Christ while the Hebrew people were taken into exile. And it's a beautiful example of Hebrew poetic rhetoric. Uh, unlike the second story, if you read the second story, it's more like it's an oral tradition story that was handed down. You can, you can imagine telling that story around the campfire and, and God is very anthropomorphized. That is, God comes and walks with Adam and Eve in the garden and stuff like that. This is a much more advanced story, one that has complex language involved in it, and it's a beautiful example of the Hebrew language and the poetry that uh, affords that out of it. And it comes out of the 6th century. And the priest who wrote it, wrote it in exile with a very special purpose in mind. You see, before that, uh, going back a little ways, the northern kingdom had already been conquered back in the 7th century, or the 8th century actually, had already been conquered by Assyria. All the northern tribes, after, after David and Solomon died, the, I won't get into all this, but there was a war and everyone, basically the Hebrew people split into two countries. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom got taken over by Assyria and what happened when they got taken over by Assyria is that they basically got absorbed into Assyrian culture and all of their tradition, except for some of the stories and the writings that are preserved in Genesis and the Old Testament, except for some of those stories that made their way south, the northern kingdom was completely absorbed into Assyria and that culture and that religion was wiped out. And so then when Nebuchadnezzar started asserting himself and started taking over the whole world and came swept down into, when Babylon swept down into Jerusalem and tore down the temple and brought the Hebrew people into exile, (coughs) the priests of God's people got together and they said, we do not want to see what happened to the northern kingdom happen to us. What can we do? And they started writing down our sto- their stories. The stories of the Hebrew people. The stories of God's interaction with the Hebrew people. And when it came to looking at uh, what was important, they started writing down some, some ideas that would keep them kind of separate from the Babylonian neighbors that they found themselves living near. Uh, and I'll get into some of those ideas in just a moment. But uh, they started also hearing. What they didn't want to do was for our, the Hebrew people to be influenced by the gods, the Babylonian gods and the Mesopotamian gods. And so when they wrote the creation story, you've probably heard this, that, that the Genesis story kind of mirrors a lot of the creation narratives that come out of the Near East, Mesopotamian ones. In in particular, the uh, Enuma Elish story, which is about the Mesopotamian gods who uh, get into a war, and when uh, Marduk kills uh, another goddess, 
creates the world out of her remains, out of her blood, basically, is what happens. as a, a little victory celebration that creates the world. What Genesis 1 represents is the Hebrew people saying, oh, that, that's Babylonian gods, that's Mesopotamian gods, but Yahweh is our God. And they use similar stories to make their case for what kind of God Yahweh was versus the kind of gods they came to know by being in exile in Babylonia. You see, because the, the Babylonian gods were very different. It's almost, you know, they, there were many of them, and they, they didn't seem to really... Uh, you know, some of the stories come out of war and humans were created to be servants of the gods. And in fact, sometimes some of the stories, uh, creation was almost an accident. Someone trips and, uh, you know, the world comes into being or, or something like that. Or it's almost as if the gods were treating humans like playthings and they, they play all these games with each other. And there's always, there's constant warring that goes on. And so when the priests wrote down their creation story, it was a polemic against the other gods to say, oh yeah, those gods are interesting and crazy. And you know, yes, there's those people have their gods, but Yahweh is a very different God. And this is the kind of God we worship, the one who creates the world in this way. And so the real question to ask when we look at Genesis is what kind of God are the priests describing? What kind of God is being described to us through Genesis? It's a theological discourse about who Yahweh is compared to the other gods that are being offered up around us. So what do we find as we look at this? One is that God is a God who, who brings about order out of the chaos. Now this is a contrast to so many of the other creation stories where they seem to be going around making chaos out of order. Like they start mixing everything up and get everyone all worked up and they start waging wars with each other that kind of gets humans involved. Our God is not like, Yahweh is not like that. Yahweh is a God who sees the chaos and brings order to it. And creates things out of that chaos. The other thing is that God deliberately goes about creating the world and creating humanity. There's purpose and deliberance in the way God does it. Again, this is a contrast to some of the other creation stories where either the world is created just, you know, out of, uh, by accident or on a whim or to spite some other God or, uh, or, or something like, or out of a midst of war or like, like Marduk makes, <laughs> turns the, brings the world out of a dead corpse of some goddess that he slaughtered. In a war, God deliberately brooded over the nothingness that was there, or the, or the, the, the world in turmoil, the, the, the primordial nothingness. And creates because God is a creator. And creates something that God says is good. Creates something beautiful. 
deliberately creates something finally that is very good and beautiful and admirable and something lovely God creates with purpose. And the other thing is God God creates humanity in a, this is an extraordinary thing to say in God's own image. Now to the original reader to, and to everyone else around who have heard uh, other gods and how other gods created the world. Again, humans were seen as either servants to the gods or, or some kind of subservient being that was just there or some kind of plaything to be toyed with and played games with or to, to manipulate and do weird things with. It was almost as if when God says... Uh, we let us create humans in our own image, male and female. He created them. It's almost as if there is this this companionship that is, this camaraderie, this connection, this intimacy between God and humanity. The other thing I would observe is that while if we look through the whole Bible, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of verses we could pull out that seem to uh, disconnect men and women in a very different way, lifting men up here and putting women kind of down here somewhere. In this particular creation story, in this particular verse, men and women both equally are created in the image of God. So it's clear that God doesn't intend to elevate one gender over the next, but that God intends to pass that image on to both men and women and all genders, men, women, everything in between. That God uh, created us, humans, to, be in com- uh, to have companionship with God. Not to be God's playthings, not to be used and abused, not to be God's servants, but God created out of a desire to create something that is very good. And aside from that, God charges humanity with caring after the beauty of creation. Now I know the text says that, that uh, uh, men and women are to have dominion over uh, over the earth and sub, you know, and 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 um, subjugated, or there's another word I'm looking for, but uh, that that we are to subdue it. That's the word I was looking for. But at the end of the day, what that's really getting at is that we have been given this earth to take care of. It is it is given to us. Here again, another strange thing. It's almost the other gods. Uh, use the, the earth for their own devices. And in this case, the priests, the Hebrew priests want to pass on to God's people that we have been given this from God to care after so that it will take care of us. All of the stuff that's good to eat, everything is given to us to sustain us. Now to the Hebrew people's Babylonian neighbors, the idea that God would go to all that trouble to take care of us would be anathema to anything they've ever heard before. 
And what the, what the early priests wanted to say is, this is Yahweh. And this is how Yahweh works in the world. Yahweh loves Yahweh's people and takes care of them, watches out for them, and provides for them. And basically, when it comes to the planet, you know, we're given stewardship over it and it's there to sustain us until we use it all up and uh, abuse it and we won't have it anymore and God's going to say, I, I gave you everything you needed and you just blew it. You know, threw it all over the place. So, so we got to take care of the planet, I guess is my point. The final thing is, that the part that I got kind of left out was that on the seventh day, God rested. And this is, where, this is where we get to another technical thing the priests do, is all of a sudden in these writings, the priests, again, desiring that the Hebrew people be kept uh, isolated a little bit away from their Babylonian neighbors, and more importantly, their Babylonian influence that comes from their culture, uh, the priests set up, they started emphasizing things that were going to set people apart. There's a couple of things. One is food laws, right? Uh, if you can't eat lobster or shrimp and you can't eat pork and you have to have milk and meat separated and all these, all these rules, what's the likelihood that you're going to be able to go over to your neighbor's house for a barbecue, Right? Not going to happen. It'll be, it'll be, hey, you want to come over? And Well, no, we really can't eat with other people because we have all these rules about that. So you're not going to be having any chummy dinners with your neighbor next door. The other thing <coughs> that kind of sets you aside, and I won't get into details here, but circumcision. Uh, you're not going to be intermarrying because you don't want to have to explain a lot of that stuff. So, uh, I won't go beyond that, but suffice it to say, circumcision kind of kept people away from each other as well. Uh, saves everyone from an awkward conversation. The, the other thing that gets emphasized here, you can laugh at that, that's okay. <laughs> the other thing that gets emphasized here is the Sabbath. Uh, hey, I need you to work on Saturday. Sorry, it's the Sabbath. I can't work on Saturday. Oh, well, and you're not working for me. Go on back to your house and enjoy your Sabbath, but you're not working for me. So you couldn't work on the Sabbath, and you had to keep it holy. Because on that day, God rested, we're told by the priests. But this kind of, uh, this kind of lawmaking effectively kept people from being enculturated into Babylonian culture. And you know what? It worked. Isn't that amazing? It, the reason we have uh, Judaism today and our Jewish brothers and sisters worshiping in the synagogues on Saturday is because this was effective. Eventually they came back from Babylonia and they restored the temple and they resumed the Yahweh worship in Jerusalem. Um, and it, as I read this story, and I recognize that what we are what we are being given here is a contrast of Yahweh versus the gods of Mesopotamia and Babylonia and Assyria and Canaan and all the other gods that are out there that Yahweh was ultimately competing with. It makes me wonder if the priests were writing today, what, what would their creation story look like in an effort to contrast 
our God against all the other gods that are competing for our attention. You know, the gods of affluence, the gods of my way or the highway, the gods of uh, might makes right, the gods of you name it, whatever that is, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the gods of whatever. I wonder what that creation story might look like today in an effort to remind us just how much God has for us and how much God has done for us and what a better God Yahweh is to all those other gods the world wants to offer us. We're also told that that, that so so much was God longing to express that love to us that that God, that, that Word of God became flesh in the person Jesus Christ. And that person Jesus Christ came and reminded us because we were far afield in Jesus' day and Jesus kept reminding us, wait a minute, this is the God of our ancestors who created this world to be a different place than it is right now. We were not created to be under the thumb of Rome. We were not created so that all the rich were the only ones who had any kind of power at the expense of everyone else. We were not created to be separated from each other. We were created to be together. We were not created to be uh, people of fear, but we were created to be people of love. Amen? All those things that Jesus brings to us is a remind. It's a. It's another creation story in John. Excuse me, in John one, that reminds us that God's light shines in this world to show us how precious and wonderfully and very, very good we are in the eyes of God. Amen. My challenge for me and you this in the, in the time to come after we leave here is to really think through how is it that the God we know through Christ's witness and testimony and life, how is the God we know a contrast to the gods we see and maybe the gods we worship in the world today? How can we constantly remind ourselves that that's the God we wish to follow? That that's the God who shows us light and life and love? Let us pray. God of creation, God of love, God of grace, God who is the Word made flesh, in Jesus Christ, and through whose Holy Spirit we experience in our own hearts today, we thank You for just Your grace and love. You created us to be good, and You see us as good. Help us to live into that goodness and may we worship only You, forsaking all other gods, that we might know the Creator and be that creation that You made us to be. 
We ask this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.